Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. It's our weekly happy hour today on Trending, and it's the feast day, or should I say the solemnity of St. Joseph. You may say, why are you celebrating the solemnity on the 20th? Don't you know the 19th is his solemnity? I do. It's my brother's birthday, too, actually. Well, St. Joseph, baby. Uh, But we know it's kind of neat when you think about what's happening in the church. Um, Sunday always takes precedence for celebrating the resurrection, the Lord's Day, and really focusing in on the triumph of the cross and the resurrection. That's why it actually breaks those days throughout Lent um, in terms of our sacrifices. Now, you can always still, and I would even argue still should, do your sacrifices and penances during Lent, but that glory and that celebration of Christ is so prevalent on Sundays that if a solemnity such as St. Joseph's Feast Day falls on a Sunday, we want to celebrate. We want to really celebrate St. Joseph. So what you do is you actually celebrate St. Joseph's Feast Day or some of the other major feast days on the following day because a special dedicated mass is celebrated for him. So some people say, how do I celebrate a feast day? What's one of the best things to do? To go to mass. So today was the day we had the mass for the solemnity of St. Joseph. We're going to talk about him a little later on, especially uh, in this culture that so desperately needs the complementarity of femininity and masculinity. And St. Joseph may not have said a word in sacred scripture, but he was a man of action and a true model of masculinity. And I'll tell you why in just a little bit here on Trending. Join me today on Trending is Brian Mercier. You can find him at catholictruth.org. He's the author of Counterfeit Spirituality, Exposing the False Gods. He takes a deep dive into what's happening with everything from yoga and new age, manifesting. We're going to talk about the law of attraction in the new age today. It's really interesting because it's everywhere, whether it's self-motivation, motivation, business motivation, healthy eating and restaurants, you kind of see like if you want to eat healthy, all of a sudden there's this new age influence. You want to go holistic with the medicine and be integrated with your medicine, there's a new age influence. I think it's fascinating because in some ways I think we've been duped into the new age via this pursuit of happiness and health healthy eating, healthy living. And in some ways, it's an incremental infiltration of the demonic. And some people might be a little shook hearing that, as the young people say today. Um, But I think it's fascinating. You know, I'm as crunchy as you get. Full, like, full disclosure. My family jokes, I'm like their conservative hippie out here. And I think it's fascinating because we have this like desire in our culture so deeply to like eat all this clean food, to use all these clean, you know, beauty products, um, to do, you know, kind of to go back to our origins. But sometimes we miss the fact that there's this new age uh, movement that has usurped what is good in terms of fitness. We could talk, we talked about yoga a couple weeks ago and that connection to it, uh, using natural elements for healing. I mean, things that God gave us, such as holistic food and salt and minerals. 
For some reason, the New Age has seeped its way into so many different forms of what people try to do to live holistic lifestyles. And so I think there's like a, a sensitive spot sometimes when it comes to the New Age because people don't recognize that you don't have to have the New Age with healthy eating or holistic uh, medicine and all of those things. So let's talk about the New Age today. Again, my guest is Brian Mercier. Find him at catholictruth.org. Brian, welcome back to Trending. Let's talk with kind of a baseline conversation here. What is the new age to begin with? Yeah, that's a great question. A good place to start. And uh, the new age movement is, well, it's it's kind of difficult. You can't just say like, oh, it's Hinduism or it's Catholicism. These are, Mm -hmm. you know, different things. But the new age actually pulls from many different religions. They pull from Hinduism, Buddhism, and other Eastern Oriental religions. They even pull from Christianity. Gnosticism, uh, psychology, the occult, and many other places. So it's kind of a melting pot of all different beliefs. And as we're going to see, the kind of. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it all comes down to a few different beliefs, but it's based on astrology that every 2,165 years, there is, they say, a new age. And so the age that just past that just finished was the age of uh, Jesus Christ, was the age of Christianity. They called it the age of Pisces, and it was symboled by a fish. And now we have the new age, which is the age of Aquarius, whereas the old age was kind of a fleshy, uh, earthly religion. It had a lot to do with the flesh. Now the new age of Aquarius has to do with evolution, evolution of consciousness, evolution of our spirit. It's a divine or a spiritual awakening, awakening, if you will. And this is where we all need to be. Yeah, great. Christianity was good for the day, but now we can grow even further. We can attain our own divinity. We can become who we were truly meant to be. And that's kind of the foundation of the New Age movement. And as we're going to see, there's three core principles in that. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about is kind of this idea of total fulfillment, right? Everyone wants to feel fulfilled. And I think that's where the new age kind of pulls people in. You feel fulfilled because, you know, you're eating right and that's part of the new age. And, you know, you're doing all the right health things and that's part of the new age. You're engaging in self-motivation. You're achieving great things in your business. And it's so frustrating because it usurps this idea of human excellence and turns it into a false religion with me, myself, and I at the center, which is, I think, what is so prevalent in those three main um, principles of the New Age that you're going to talk about right now. Yes, 100%. You're right on the money. And in fact, wasn't that the devil's first temptation to Adam and Eve? You can be like God. Just have this. It'll make you feel good. Eve even said in the Bible that it looked good for eating. You know, maybe she could become God without God. And that is the central um, tenant of the New Age movement is that we can be God without God. So we remove God and insert ourselves in his place. Also, or I should say either or, you could take out God and insert something else in his place like the universe. And the whole uh, thing is to become happy, to become fulfilled, to become who we truly are. There is no good, as we're going to see. There's no evil. There's no right and wrong. There's, there's none of this dualistic thinking. And a lot of these masquerade 
as motivational books. All of the greatest new age bestsellers on all of the market lists are all masquerading as um, self-help books. You know, you can find money, you can find your power, you can find your dream job, you can find uh, successful relationships and so much more if you just follow this, this, and this. And halfway through these books, they start taking a turn downward, meaning that the self-motivation goes away Uh, so to speak, and more of this spirituality comes into it where we are God, we are divine, we can achieve anything we want. It's all about us. And we see this replacing of God with self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when this is seen particularly in those three main principles, I know monism, this idea that everything in the universe is one thing um, and that everything is divine. But what's the third one with that? Well, it's kind of uh, reclaiming our divinity, um, coming back to who we truly are. And people will be very surprised. You know, when I explain these in a second, you know, people are going to be like, wait, who actually believes this? But really, it's the foundation of many of the principles and beliefs, ideologies and practices that we have today in our country. I mean, look at labyrinths, the Enneagram, Reiki, uh, feng shui, yoga. I could go on and on and on and on, but they all have these principles as their foundation. So the first one is monism, which is the belief that everything is one. Now, if I said, Timory, you know what? You and I, I like you. You know what? You and I are one, you know, <laughs> that'd be nice. You know, we're one family, you know, we're buddies. We you know, that's one thing. And <laughs> everybody speaks that way, but they actually believe everything is one. They don't believe there's a difference between stars and trees and cars and microphones. No, literally, that's just a, a it's a misguiding. Our eyes are playing tricks on us. And hence in why fact, so many everything. People... Go ahead. No, go I was just going to say, hence why everyone thinks today it's easy and an easy jump for so many people today to say there's no such thing as male and female. We're all the one. Who are you to say that we're different? Who do you say, you know, what love is? You know, we're we're all peace and love, right? Like that's where this idea comes from, even if they don't quite realize that they are preaching by the way they live their lives and what they support, monism. Exactly, which is why it's eroding the foundations of Christianity just in general. And so they believe under the veneer of everything, like when you look at this world, what you see with your physical eyes isn't actual reality. But when you come to divine awakening and consciousness, you're going to realize that everything you see with your eyes is a lie. And under all of that, there is this spiritual world, which is the reality. It's kind of like waking up from a dream and you're not sure if the dream was real or not. And that's how it is in this life, they said. But everything is one, just literally one. And this leads into what's known as pantheism. I mean, if everyone on earth is one, and it comes from Hinduism. I mean, even Hindus, they, we say they believe in millions of gods, right? But they don't. They believe in one God, and all of these other things are manifestations of that one God. Everything is one. But then if everything is one, well, then we are one with God. And that means we are God. And that's what Hindus believe, and that's what the core um, principle of the New Age movement is, is that we mm-hmm. can become God. We can mm-hmm. become divine. Mm-hmm. And this goes directly against the very first commandment God gives us. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods besides <laughs> me. And yet we don't quite realize that when we puff ourselves up so big, when we say things like, my truth is my truth, your truth is you, your truth, that is the new age seeping into 
our mindset. And, you know, I was talking to my mom just the other day about like incrementalism and how sometimes we don't quite realize how we're sullying the whole pot with things we are exposing ourselves to. And I think the new age is one of those things seeping into many areas of our lives. And we have to be able to distinguish between what is virtue teaching, what is good and holy, submission, obedience, and um, reverence and dependence on God, and what turns in on me and saying, you know, I'm throwing it out there to the universe. I'm going to get it back. I believe everything's one. And, you know, I'm in divinity. I'm incredible. And I mean, that's how far it goes. And it's pride. I like how you just use that word. That's how far it goes. And do you remember Marianne Williamson? She ran against Donald Trump, Joe Biden. You know, she ran for president. That's how far it goes. From the top of this country, Marianne Williamson is teaching. Uh, and in fact, she says we need to be reminded of who we really are. Our thoughts and our behaviors actually reflect a disassociation from our divine self. In our oneness with others lies our oneness with God, and removing those walls is his work. God's only begotten son is who we are. So God's son is not Jesus Christ anymore. It's literally everyone in the universe who is one being, who is one with God, and that is the son of God. So this is heresy and blasphemy from mm -hmm. top to bottom. And some of the biggest teachers like Eckhart Tolle, as we talked about last week, The Secret, uh, Conversations mm -hmm. with God, Wayne Dyer, all of these people who are charging five to $50,000 to do a talk at Fortune 500 companies <laughs> are teaching these things at the highest right. levels. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it directly contradicts um, a central part of the church's teaching that has been very fundamental in the wake of the sexual revolution and the abortion culture, and that's the teaching on the dignity of the human person and what that actually means and how um, encouraging and emboldening that is for us when we understand it. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's Brian Mercier. You can find him at catholictruth.org. That's Brian Mercier here on Relevant Radio. Brian, let's tie this into the dignity of the human person because I think it's significant. In a culture where we saw uh, really the bloodiest century with World War One, World War Two, and then we swing right into um, the blood being on our hands, the barbaric legalization of abortion across the nation for 50 years. It's been interesting to see that the church's response has been very focused on the dignity of the human person, this understanding that the human person has inherent value. But what I often find when working and teaching and lecturing on this topic is that a lot of people don't realize what that means, what makes up the fact that we have such great value and why the New Age movement is so bad is that there is such a high regard for the human person in the image and likeness of God, that God chose to create us he made us for himself. He made us, though, with intellect and free will. He loved us so much that he gave us the ability to come to knowledge on our own and to freely choose to follow him or leave him. Now, he made us to follow him. He made us for himself. But what's so scary is that because of that free will, we can kind of turn in on ourselves just like at the Tower of Babel and try to become our own God. And that's exactly what's happening. This goes back to a very very simple story we all learned as children in the Tower of Babel, where they decide to build this great tower, this great building into the sky to make a name for themselves, replacing God with their great achievements. And this is exactly what we're doing with allowing New Age to seep its way into our lives. 
That's right. And you talked about God making us and giving us ourself, you know, and making us in his likeness and image. And New Agers kind of twist that and they they have this false concept called a true self and a false self. As soon as you hear that, you just know it's New Age. And the true self with a capital S is your divine self. And the self that's really probably in heaven right now and you have just forgotten that or you've devolved from that or you fell from grace or something on that idea. And then the false self, which is our current self, the one that's full of pain, agony, depression, anxiety, you know, it's in this world, it's fleshy. And so we need to rid ourselves of this true self and achieve this divine enlightenment. Whereas Christianity is completely different. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing in John chapter 15. Philippians 4.13 says, without Christ, I can do all things. We can't breathe. We can't walk. We can't move. Without grace, we can't do anything. So to think that we can just, in a sense, usurp God and put ourselves in his place and you know, enact all of these spiritual principles and do everything just right and we'll achieve this perfection of divinity and happiness, it's never going to work. And uh, of course, we're going to talk about in a second, but there's many more deeper dangers to this movement as well. And I want to come back talking about that, the law of attraction, how that is influencing uh, so many people's lives. I remember growing up, it was very normal for people to talk about karma. You know, what comes around goes around. You know, you you get kind of what you deserve. You you put it out there into the universe. And when you're positive, you get positive things. And I've seen this seep its way into um, Christian moral thinking and thought and ethics. And it's not a part of our teaching as Catholics. And we'll break that down and really kind of try to understand why. Because some people might say that contradicts that whole idea that God says, ask and you shall receive. There's a difference between saying, I'm going to put it out there and God, and it's just going to come back to me versus that humility of turning to God. So we'll talk about the law of attraction just a moment here on Trending with Brian Mercier. Uh, Find him at catholictruth.org. That's catholictruth.org. Incredible book you need to pick up. Author of The Counterfeit Spirituality. And if you haven't picked up the book yet, The reason why you should is because a lot of people are influenced by this new age, especially young people. So it's good to have this conversation prevalent alongside those conversations about atheism today. We'll be right back here on Trending. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Tuesday on Trending, I'll be joined by Catholic Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Michelle Muff. So if you have a question for a therapist, especially related to relationships from a Catholic perspective, go ahead and send me an email. Reach out on social media. You can email me by just heading over to relevantradio.com forward slash trending to connect there. We're also going to unpack the Trinity, talking about the mystery of God, what we know in the church's teaching on the Trinity, but also just pondering that mystery of the infinite God and the mystery of his divinity. It's something we should be in awe over and it should be something that inspires our meditation and our thought when we think about God himself. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me now is Brian Mercier. Uh, The topic of law of attraction is one that fascinates me. Um, We hear a lot about manifesting in today's culture. You know, I say, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to find $100 today, or I'm going to land that new job. And there's nothing with being 
goal-oriented. But the law of attraction in manifesting, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and today we're going to focus more on the law of attraction. But it's really interesting because uh, Brian Mercier talks about this in his book, uh, Counterfeit Spirituality. We'll post a link on social media. I really, really do recommend this book. Uh, But it has to do with this idea in the law of attraction. We've all come across it. Positivity attracts positivity. And when you're negative, negative things happen to you. This whole idea of karma, what comes around goes around is really at the heart of it. I grew up with that kind of being a normal phrase that many people have always said, not realizing what a fundamental part of the new age that was uh, in really in contrast to our religion as Catholics. So to discuss that now is Brian Mercier. Brian, let's talk about the new age and this idea of the law of attraction. Yeah, sure. And it stems from the other things that we've talked about, monism being one, pantheism, we're all divine. And since we are all divine and we really are God in heaven, that means our thoughts are all powerful and they will obey our every command as the book The Secret says and other books as well. So basically, in a nutshell, you attract to yourself everything depending on how you think. So if you think positively, you're going to attract positive things into your life, money, relationships, love, uh, success, and things like that. Whereas if you think negatively, you're going to attract negative things into your life, like car accidents, debt, stress, sexual abuse, and things that are worse. I mean, This is what it teaches, which is why it's so dangerous. And in fact, it blames sexual abuse victims for not thinking positively enough. I mean, anybody can see the problem with this, but there's even a book called uh, The Jesus Path, which says just this. If you had uh, something bad happen to you, you were sexually abused, it was your fault because you were not thinking positively. Now, that is extremely (laughs) dangerous. And I want to throw it at the beginning of here that... There is some truth to that. You know, the devil always gives us some truth, right? So, for example, if I think positively in life and I'm a positive person, I'm more likely to go ask a woman out on a date. I'm more likely to go for that job interview. I'm more likely to believe that I can succeed. Whereas if I'm negative all the time and I don't think that I can do anything and I'm self you know, basing myself all the time. Well, I'm not going to go ask that girl out probably. I don't think I'll get the job and I'm probably not going to be successful. So there is some truth to that. But the law of attraction takes it so much further. And in fact, uh, for example, the book, uh, The Secret says that it's more than this. It says you are like Aladdin's genie. And this is a quote, the law of attraction grants you your every command We are the creators, not only of our personal destiny, but ultimately, we are the creators of our ultimate destiny. We are the creators of the universe, unquote. And it goes on to say that there's no God in this universe that's going to judge you at the end of your life. You have literal emanations coming out of your mind into the universe. So if you think positively, those are going to emanate and bring those things back to you. And of course, this is nonsense because Jesus said he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. So (laughs) these people are going to be in for a big shock on judgment day. Right. And two things. We talked about this a little bit earlier. One, it goes against fundamentally the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no strange gods before me. And it comes back to that principle of the new age that I am this extension of the divinity. I am 
God. And, but at the same time, I think some people might hear this, Brian, and they say, okay, well, you know, I completely have dedicated my life to God. And I've maybe, for example, it's the feast day of St. Joseph and consecrating yourself to Our Lady or to St. Joseph is something that a lot of people do. And some people have a hard time understanding the theology of it. It's simple. You consecrate your life to the intercession, taking this person as your spiritual uh, mother, spiritual father before the throne of God to intercede for you. And I mean, I can give the example, like St. Joseph has truly, truly worked miracles in our lives. We have two children. I attribute to the intercession of St. Joseph. Uh, he has been just right there in the heart of uh, our homes that we've owned, um, you know, the job that my husband has. And just for example, we were trying so hard to return to California. We were praying, this was on our hearts. I knew we were supposed to be back in California and we're praying and we're kind of at the very end of my pregnancy thinking, you know, it's not really going to happen. We're about two and a half months away from the due date. And all of a sudden, a man named Joseph contacts my husband and offering him a job. And God's providence and his generosity is all over working through the saints and people of faith in our lives. But that's different from the law of attraction of I do this and I'm going to get something positive because of it versus dependence on God and total abandonment to he may say no and that's okay. And he does say no. And I think that's a distinction, Brian, that I think sometimes people have a hard time understanding with this law of attraction and our faith and our dedication and entrustment to God. And I personally believe that's why so many people get into the new age in the first place is because we have to surrender ourselves, as you just said, to God, and we must surrender ourselves to his will. And in fact, Jesus says, if you don't do the will of God, you won't be going to heaven. He says that in Matthew 7, 21, also in the corresponding verses, Luke uh, 6, 46. But it's easy in the new age because I don't need to worry about that. I can just see what I want. I can visualize it and I can attain it, you know, health and wealth. And it's much, much easier. In fact, Jesus talks about two different paths. The road to heaven in Matthew chapter seven is difficult to find and difficult to climb because it goes uphill and you actually have to do something. Whereas the path to heaven, uh, path to hell, he says, is wide. It's easy to travel. It goes downhill. Everyone travels it because it doesn't require much. And as you said, it flips God's will, thy will be done on its head, and it becomes Mm -hmm. my will be done. That's exactly what the New Age movement is. And that's what the law of attraction is in a nutshell. But worse, Mm -hmm. it says that people who don't do these things only have themselves to blame. And in fact, all of these biggest books say that you don't want to talk to people who are negative, who are suffering, who are homeless, who are alcoholics. You know, you don't want to (laughs) help anyone with charity because then you're going to take on their negativities. Mm -hmm. You're going to bring it into your own life and then you're going to attract these things into your own life. So if you get really invested in this teaching of the law of attraction, you push these people away into this perpetually positive bubble and you actually do a lot more harm than good. It's interesting you mentioned that part because something really just stood out to me. So I talk about a really a lot of topics that people it's hard to hear. You know, we talk a lot about transgenderism and abortion and you know the challenging things happening in our culture not for the point of despairing for saying, hey, this is wrong. This is why we're struggling with it. This is what our faith says. This is what psychology says. Let's pursue truth and help others too as well. But when you start talking about how ugly um, and damaging, you know, the health side effects of transgenderism, the damage to the soul for the individual, there are people who um, 
shock me sometimes and say, you know, I think we just need to talk about something more positive. And, you know, just let's just talk about something more positive. And they totally try to change the subject. It's not that they necessarily disagree with me, but they can't handle it. And I get it. These are tough topics in our culture today. But I think part of this is that new age law of attraction influence, where if you talk about something negative and harmful, like they get scared that it's going to hurt them by even, you know, looking and peeking into the misery of what's happening to try and help people. So in a certain respect, it's so focused in on myself that there's no thought of seeing another human being and helping them to draw out of the ugliness of what they are experiencing. That's right. And in fact, I don't know if you know uh, Sharon Lee Giganti. She was a former New Age practitioner, uh, expert in the New Age. She channeled spirits, the whole thing. And uh, she was heavily into the law of attraction. And she said because of that teaching, she was responsible for a person going to jail for their whole life who she could have helped but didn't. Someone being killed and uh, committing suicide, who she could have helped and didn't. And she says this rocked her world and ended up getting out of that. Now she's a Catholic convert. She speaks against the dangers of the New Age movement, and she has a whole three CD set on this powerful topic. And she says that it will destroy your life the more you get into it. So the And that's what the devil does, Timur. He, he gives us these vain promises. That's what he did to Jesus. Just worship me and I will give you everything. And that's what he says to us too. And Jesus says, be gone, Satan. And the message of Jesus is completely opposite of the new age. Pick up your cross, Jesus said, and follow me. He who does not pick up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus also, (laughs) if you think about this, Jesus Mm -hmm. died one of the most gruesome, disgusting deaths ever in history, right? Now, Mm -hmm. let me ask you, did he attract that to himself? (laughs) Did he bring that upon himself by thinking negatively? I mean, this is just nonsense. Jesus Christ suffered and died for us. And he said, we need to follow in his footsteps. And in fact, he commanded us to serve the poor. Matthew 25, 31 to 46, the people went to heaven or hell based on whether they visited the sick, the imprisoned, and gave food to the hungry and so on. So Jesus commands us to do this. So yes, we can think positively and we should, but we are not God. We are not Mm -hmm. in control of our lives and we must surrender everything. Sure, we can make goals. We can try to achieve what we want in life, but everything must be open to the will of God ultimately. And I think that that's the key, openness to the will of God and willing to sacrifice still. So you can say, okay, God, I really, you know, I did this when I got pregnant. I'm like, I don't want to live in the Midwest. I don't want to have a baby here. I'm done living here. I said, we're going to get a new job. We're going to buy a new house. I'm going to move before this baby's born. And I remember some of my family just cracked up at me because they said, you said you were going to do it and you did it. But it wasn't that I desired it. And I knew, you know what? And I was in this process of going, okay, Lord, this might not be your will. It's not happening. I don't get it. I don't like it. It's painful. And he could have left me there because maybe it would be really good um, for me to stay another year uh, just where it was really hard for me to live personally. Like we would have been there, you know, in that challenge. And sometimes God lives us there long, leaves us in places for our growth, even though it's difficult and challenging. But we have to submit to the will of God, understand sometimes when he says, no, we're not yet. And we have to live sacrificially, even in the midst of that difficulty that can be a form of darkness for us if we don't choose 
Christ's light, not this bubble of light surrounding me and peace and love. You know, people talk a lot about light, <laughs> but they miss the transformative light of Christ. That's the light that we need in him alone. Absolutely. And in fact, my wife and I went through some dark years in our marriage and she uh, wanted a job and God left us destitute for a few years. And she said, I'm not going to take this. I don't want it. And so she applied literally to like a hundred jobs. And even once I was said, you know, you can start on Monday, we're going to call you back on Monday. Every one of them fell through. And she went to a very dark place because she was trying to control her own life rather than give it up to God. And I got out of that darkness a lot quicker than she she did because I ended up surrendering to God and saying, okay, God, if you want us to stay here forever, I will, whatever you want. And God's like, finally, thank you. And um, we, my wife and I just had a baby um, two months ago with Down syndrome. And that is not what we wanted. And we knew mm. that there were some markers for it. We didn't know it was set in stone. All of the doctors were pushing us to terminate the pregnancy. Mm. And it was a very difficult um a difficult pregnancy. And I finally, the head doctor of Yale, one of those prestigious uh, hospitals in the in the country, I looked him in the eyes. He said, I heard you don't want to terminate your pregnancy. I said, why would I murder my own daughter? I, I looked him in the eyes and I told him that. I said, that doesn't even make sense. And he got so visibly uncomfortable and retired two weeks later, they told me. Um, wow. But the bottom line is I didn't want a Down syndrome baby. And we had everyone and their parents and their mother and everyone could think mm -hmm. of praying for a healthy baby. And what we got <laughs> was a Down syndrome baby. And you know what? Mm -hmm. I have to surrender my will to God and say, God, that's not what I want, but it's what you wanted mm -hmm. for me. And you are going to change the world through this child in some way. You're going to teach me lessons that I need to learn. And you're going to teach this fallen world lessons that they need to world. And I believe that this child is going to change a lot of lives. Brian, thank you for sharing. You know your story. And congratulations on your baby girl. Um, what a, what a joy and celebration! I keep thinking of Matthew chapter seven. You know, God tells us, "Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you." For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And there's this joy, right? Like you had this baby that you so deeply desired. Uh, yet we don't want to take sometimes the circumstances of God going, okay. You know, here, here's this life, and we like, we want the baby healthy. We want this circumstance. We want this context. We want to live in a particular place. You know, I get it. You know, those challenges are real, and I think people start to implode when a curveball comes, such as the challenge of a medical diagnosis, such as that. And you know, the ideas of the world is to reject the the challenge that we have been presented with, but that is not conformity to Christ. That is not the cruciform love that we are baptized into when we are baptized, whether as children or adults. Yeah, absolutely. And it might be a little bit more of a cross. And I think about this, Timory. I've been thinking about this lately, that so many people forego having children or you know, they get pets instead, or they just want to take long vacations. And Jesus said, the road to heaven is the cross. You reject that, you reject heaven. Kids are a lot of work, though. Exactly. It's a cross. And that is your way to heaven. 
this little girl here, she's going to be our cross, but a beautiful cross. I mean, she, if you could see her, Tamara, she's the cutest little thing. And she came out with a full head of hair from day one. Oh, we put a little bow in her hair and, and nurses from around the hospital on different floors who had nothing to do with her just by word of mouth came to see our baby because she was the cutest thing in the hospital, they mm-hmm. said. And they wanted to hold her. They wanted to, she brought smiles to so many. She's Joy. already making people's mm-hmm. lives more joyful. And mm-hmm. while it might be a little bit of a cross, God is going to work wonders through it, and he's going to make us saints through it. And this is where we see, even in the midst of the challenge, okay, I asked for X, I got Y, but look at the gift of mercy and grace and joy that this life can have on me and others, or we can turn in ourselves, right? And kind of become this bitter, angry, resentful person who doesn't know how to love anymore. I think of C.S. Lewis, and he talks about men without chests, human beings who've lost their hearts because we've caved in on ourselves, trying to protect ourselves from ever being hurt again, rather than seeing the joy in suffering uh, that is I think part of the fundamental message that Christians have as Catholics, we have to give to the world right now. There is joy in suffering and things not always going my way. Brian, congratulations on your baby girl and this new journey for your family. Thank you for sharing with us and for all the work you do. You can find Brian Mercier at catholictruth.org. That's catholictruth.org. And this book, you've got to pick it up, Counterfeit Spirituality. We post the link on social media as well as in the episode notes for today's show. We'll be right back here on Trending. It's the Solemnity of St. Joseph, one of the highest feast days in the liturgical year and we will unpack saint joseph and his masculinity in a culture that so desperately needs to understand how important men are listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to Trending. It's the Solemnity of St. Joseph, and I want to dedicate this time to just talk about him in a favorite prayer, which I actually recently discovered a few more prayers to St. Joseph. I'll include them in the episode notes. One's called um, The Praises of St. Joseph. I just found this a few weeks ago in a children's book by Ignatius Press and Magnifica. It's an awesome book and really kind of is probably, my daughter loves to pick it out because it has some pictures in it, but it has a lot of words. So I think really kind of like six, seven, eight, and up. Uh, It's called St. Joseph Watch Over My Family, and my two-year-old loves it. It was really, really cute. I posted this on my Instagram earlier. I told her it was St. Joseph's feast day, so we were going to church, and she quickly runs, and she loves books. She's going through all of her books, and she pops out with her St. Joseph book and comes running over, and she goes, I go to church. Book, book. And she was bringing her book with us. It was really cute. So in there was a prayer called the Praises of St. Joseph. I love this. So we'll have to find it. I'll post it in the social on social media. But also we have the Litany of St. Joseph, which is, by the way, on the Relevant Radio app. And I was just talking with our app designers for Relevant Radio, and I am having them add two other prayers to the Relevant Radio app. One forthcoming is the Hail St. Joseph. So kind of like the Hail Mary, it's not 
um, it's not like the biblical, because Hail Mary has all this biblical text in it, but it's a Hail St. Joseph prayer that's really neat. And then there's another St. Joseph prayer, the Memorare to St. Joseph. So stay tuned for those. They'll be on the Relevant Radio app soon. If you haven't downloaded it, it's great to grab it. And, you know, if you don't like praying on your phone, I don't use my phone for prayer, but you can write it out and memorize the prayer. Uh, this is what I love to do um, with prayers I find that I like. I write them and I write them and meditate on them and then you memorize them eventually. But let's talk about the litany of St. Joseph. Um, I love turning to this litany because it, I really think, points to St. Joseph as the pinnacle of a masculinity. Apart from Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, St. Joseph really, I believe, is that example of exuding masculinity. And we live in a culture where we've tried to erase the differences between male and female. And we need that complementarity of femininity and masculinity. We need both. God gave Jesus both a mother and a father. He could have just given Jesus to Mother Mary and Mother Mary could have just raised him on her own. But God didn't. That's how fundamental a father is. And St. Joseph models that perfection of masculinity, of being a husband, a father, what it means to be a Christian husband and father. And St. Joseph uh, really lived in that first adoration chapel because he followed and cared for Jesus. Uh, Joseph is a type of Christ, but in a different respect, you know, he's an example where we often hear people say, you know, that's an apple off the tree. Uh, Jesus is an apple off the tree of Joseph and vice versa. They learned mutually from one another. But ponder this, the reality of St. Joseph. He raised, schooled, and chastised Jesus. He changed diapers. He did the potty training. He taught him how to eat, pick up, you know, the utensils, eat with his hands. He taught him how to swing an axe, how to hunt for food. And it's this context that we understand who St. Joseph is. He was a man of action, and he was a father and a husband. This is something that should be close to all of us. Whether you're a father and a husband or not, we all came having fathers and witnessing God willing, good marriages. And if not, this is why, again, St. Joseph is so important, giving that model of a good father, a good spouse. Pray the litany of St. Joseph, reading, and if you never prayed it, you know, it's a typical litany. You pray, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. You turn to the intercession of Our Lady, and then you start praying these titles of St. Joseph. And I want to walk through some of them. So it starts with St. Joseph, pray for us. And it says, illustrious son of David, pray for us. And then here's where it gets controversial. The next title St. Joseph has is Light of Patriarchs. Patriarch is the head of the home. And so we're turning to St. Joseph as that inspiration for the head of the home. And we live in a time that is anti-patriarchy. I mean, that is the movement. Trust me, I went to the Women's March a couple times now to interview and talk to and just hear what women have to say. And boy, is it all about how much they hated the patriarchy. So you know what I did? I went around interviewing people, asking them what the patriarchy is, and no one could tell me what the patriarchy was. It's the male head of the home. And we need this healing in our radical feminist culture that is anti-man, anti-human, anti-God, ignoring that God created men and women. 
We need to restore that order of masculinity. And that is what praying this litany of St. Joseph does, is we look at this model St. Joseph as the masculine male head of the family. And that is a God-given mission for men to be patriarchs, to lead, protect, and provide. We should have a problem when men fail to do that as leaders and protectors and providers. But we should call them into their mission and challenge that that is the proper position of men in society and in the family. We believe in patriarchy as Catholics. I know it's scandalous to say, but we believe in people living sacrificially in these roles. You can't live them any other way. Pope Pius XI in an incredible encyclical on the family called Casti Canubi came out in the 1930s, talked about how the husband is the head of the home and the woman is the heart of the home. That may be controversial almost 100 years later, but that is what the church teaches. And so when we read Light of Patriarchs, there's that inspiration of, hey, we as Catholics are countercultural. We as Catholics see that St. Joseph gives us a model of what it looks like to be a patriarch, a light to patriarchs. And so we further unpack that if we read about St. Joseph and the rest of the litany praying for his intercession. So how was he a light to patriarchs? He was a spouse of the mother of God. He was a guardian of the Redeemer, a guardian of Jesus Christ who would redeem us. He was the pure guardian of the Virgin. That means he protected that gift of virginity in Our Lady. He took that responsibly upon himself physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. He is, if when we turn to him for our intercession, for intercession, our spiritual and physical pro- pro- protector, preserving us for Christ, just as he preserved Our Lady to be Christ's portion, respecting her virginity. St. Joseph We read is another one of the titles, provider for the son of God, pray for us. He provided, as I talked about, he's the leader, protector, and provider. That's a God-given role and mission. He provided a home. He provided safety, food, time of prayer, healthy and safe relationships. That's what a patriarch does. That's why men, patriarchs, used to arrange marriages because they would help to find healthy and safe individuals to marry their children. Zealous defender of Christ is the next title. Do we ponder the way in which St. Joseph protected Christ's life and mission so that he could do what he did? God didn't have to have St. Joseph, but he chose to have St. Joseph to be the zealous defender of Christ, to preserve the purity physically and spiritually of Jesus and Our Lady. He was that primary caretaker with Our Lady of Christ. We read that he's a servant of Christ in the litany. Pray for us. Humility truly does knock us on our butts when we realize that St. Joseph, who was the father of Jesus Christ on earth, the earthly father, the legal father, the adoptive father, St. Joseph became the servant to the son. That shows in being a parent that we are called to serve our children, that we do not obey terrorists that we don't negotiate with terrorists, that we serve them out of love, doing what is right to form them to be excellent, faith-filled human beings. And that means having rules, having accountability, saying no. You know, how enchanting a child can be to a parent. It's a wonderful thing, but we are called not to just 
make the child conform to our life, but to actually be transformed by forming that child for the life to come. And that will form us for the life to come in Jesus Christ. I mean, St. Joseph did the same unimaginable things that we ourselves do, such as changing diapers if you're a parent, teaching a kid how to eat, teaching him how to swing a hat, an axe, how to, how to hunt for food. I mean, this is a culture they still lived in. He did this for the king of the universe who lived under his own roof. And so when we read that St. Joseph is a servant of Christ, I always think back to this tradition in the church. Uh, in the Latin, it's uh, these, this phrase, go to Joseph. In Latin, it says, ite ad Joseph. These words that were spoken um, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, when Pharaoh is, tells people when they're in the midst of a famine, a physical famine for food, in Egypt, Pharaoh tells people to go to Joseph for his assistance in making sure they have food. But we too can go to Joseph, the Joseph who he's named after, right? But to Joseph, the patriarch, the father, Jesus Christ, with our needs so that he can go before the heavenly throne, before his son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and intercede for us. We know that St. Joseph is the head of the Holy Family. Again, coming back to that theme of patriarchy, that God-given rule. How do you be a patriarch? You lead your family as the head of the home. We read, St. Joseph is most just. Rather than being self-seeking or choosing self-preservation, he is a model of fairness and right and giving others their due. Giving others their due in defending and protecting when they, and we talked about this in, on Friday when we talked about the Catholic Navy SEAL. I hope you'll listen to that episode. It's an incredible story uh, where we talked about justice. And justice is giving other people what they deserve, what is good. And sometimes justice is also giving people what they deserve in terms of a punishment. Uh, we read in this litany, Joseph Most Chase. I love to ponder this for a moment. Joseph had such profound sexual integrity. He understood his state in life as the spouse to the Virgin Mary, and he preserved and faithfully lived at the, out that vocation, preserving the holiness the perfection in that set-apart portion which Our Lady was for God. There's so much that we could unpack in the litany of St. Joseph. I hope you'll pray with it. I hope you'll ponder. I hope you'll write and just think about what each of these titles meant. St. Joseph was a man of action who gives us a model of what we should aspire to in seeking to build up men in our culture. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Happy Solemnity of St. Joseph. St. Joseph, Patriarch of Families, pray for us. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Ask a Therapist Tuesday on Trending. I'll be joined by Catholic Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Michelle Muff. I'll also unpack what we know about the Trinity and admire the mystery of the infinite God and the mystery of his divinity. Join me, 16th Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.